Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 2 of Four Foundations of Flowering Faith, a weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Today's session is the actual Sunday School class that was recorded on January 26, 2020. The subject is the integrity of a Christian's thought life, blessings and enjoy. So that brings us to our keystone verse for today. Wisest man who ever lived, David's son Solomon said above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Name an action you have ever performed, unless you were sleepwalking, I guess, that did not begin with a conscious thought. And so let's look at some of the sins of thought that can lead to sins of action and why that is so important. We'll begin with anger because this is one of the earliest sins mentioned in the Bible. Let's go back to Genesis 4, the first family. Eve gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to God. Doesn't sound like he brought his best, does it? And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. That's an emotion a basic emotion, and his face was downcast. There's Cain in the background, angry because it seems the Lord is blessing and responding to Abel's sacrifice and not looking so well on his offering. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Mm. But that anger, it was just marinating inside. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. This pencil drawing of Cain luring Abel to his death was painted by the French, actually it's, it's a pencil drawing, the French Bible illustrator James Tissot. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This one was painted by Peter Paul Rubens in 1600, and it's called Cain Slaying Abel. So, there he is walking away after he had done the deed. And this sad painting, which I had never seen before, is Adam and Eve mourning the dead body of their son, Abel. And how did that all start again? And what is our subject? Integrity. That all began with anger. 
anger that was allowed to stew in a man's heart. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Oh, but come on, I get mad and I'm not going to kill anyone. Yeah, but I bet if you think about it very long, you might gossip or you might hold a grudge. And aren't those sins too? Integrity of thought. The second of the sins of thought that can lead to sins of action is lust. So come with me now to the reign of King David. He's the second of the kings of Israel. He lives about 800 years before Christ or 900. And he's got a big family by now and his kids are adults. And he's already committed that terrible sin with Bathsheba that resulted in the death of her husband and the death of their firstborn child. And the Lord has said, you're gonna have trouble in your household from here on. Now we're in 2 Samuel 13. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. In other words, Absalom and Tamar were full brother and sister. And you'll find later they had a very close, loving relationship. And Absalom felt protective of Tamar. But Amnon and Tamar and Absalom were all fathered by David. And they're all living in the same basic area, in the same basic household, even though each family has their own quarters. And Amnon begins to look at Tamar, and he is lusting after his own sister. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar, hmm, that sounds like thoughts to me. Hadn't done anything, just looking at her, just thinking about her. So obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Amnon had an advisor named Jonadad, son of Shemaiah, David's brother. In other words, he hung out with his cousin a lot. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? See how this was getting to him? It was on his mind all the time, round and round in his mind, kind of like Cain's anger. This is Amnon's lust. Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I'd like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so that I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight and baked it. 
Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat it. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. You know, because they were rich and they had a lot of servants who were waiting on them hand and foot and somebody was always around. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so that I may eat from your hand. And here she is, just like a sheep going to the slaughter, completely unaware. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He won't keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Now here's a true picture of the sad sickness of this. And then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he'd loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. And that just started with thoughts. He just happened to look one day and thought, boy, she was really a pretty woman. The next thing you know, she's disgraced. Her whole life was shattered. She went and lived with her brother Absalom. Here's another interesting thing that's a little off the subject, but Absalom, when he and his wife had a daughter, they named her Tamar. Tamar used to wear a beautiful garment that was characteristic of the virgin daughters of David. And she took that off after that day and never wore it again, wore her grieving garments. Jesus said in that same Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Let's see, what was the subject of this again? Integrity, integrity of thought. And what was the keystone verse? Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. What about greed? We were talking about greed before when we looked at Edward Shin and his appearance on 2020 and his sentencing for killing his business partner. So come with me now to several generations after King David. Now the kingdom is divided up into a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. And the northern kingdom does not have a king that's descended from David. The man that's on the throne now, his name is King Ahab. And he has a wife who is Syrophoenician and her father was the king of a nation that worshiped Baal. And she influenced her husband a lot. At any rate, we're in 1 Kings 21. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. 
In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. In fact, that was part of the law. You were supposed to keep your ancestral lands and not give them away or sell them. So Ahab went home, and here we go again, thought life, sullen and angry. Well, I wanted it. Well, I offered him a fair price. Well, that's a beautiful little piece of land, and it's right beside my land, and I wanted it. Sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I won't give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. That's when he first approached him. Just thought that Naboth would have been completely and immediately compliant and have given it to him at a low price, but rats, now thwarted, not going to get that piece of property, rats. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I won't give you my vineyard. Poor baby. <laughs> Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Frame him and kill him, she said. Well, we'll skip forward, but that's exactly what they did. And that poor righteous man was set up, accused, and in one day drug outside the city and stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He's no longer alive, but dead. Okay, but that was Jezebel's sin. So why are we harping on Ahab? All he did was sulk a little, right? No, look at this. This is his response to that man's murder. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he realized what a jerk he had been and repented in sackcloth and ashes? No. He got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Good grief. And that just started with thoughts. He looked out his window one day and went, you know, that is a beautiful little vineyard right outside my window. I'd kind of like to have that. And it went on from there. Wow. Let's see, what was the keystone verse again? Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. One of the Ten Commandments doesn't have anything to do with your actions directly. Number 10, you shall not covet. Your neighbor's house, wife, 
male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Did you know that even in the Ten Commandments it says that thoughts can be sins? That's a pretty big deal. Most of the time we just hear, well, it doesn't really matter what you think. People can't help what they think. Just control your actions and you'll be all right. No, that's not what the Scripture says. That's not even what the Old Testament says. Jesus, Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. That sounds to me like people that are doing the right thing. But inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Full of greed inside. Hmm. Oh, you mean your thought life isn't what it ought to be. Let's look at another one. When desire has conceived, desire, you know, greed, covetousness, lust, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. You see, that's why thoughts can be sin, because they lead to actions. If we're conscious beings who are controlling what we do, the only way we can do something is if we think about it first. So all of our sins of action begin as thoughts. What about fear? Is fear a sin? Well, Jesus told the parable of a rich man wanted his servants to invest his money while he was gone. And Jesus said that he gave one guy five talents and one guy two talents and one guy one talent. Remember the story? And the guy who had the five talents went out and invested them and gained ten. And the guy who had the two went out and invested them and gained two, so that he had four total. But the guy who had one just went and buried it. So here we are, Matthew 25. Then the man who had received one bag of gold, one talent, came, Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seeds, so I was afraid. Thought life, you know? He was scared, he said, and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. There he is digging it up. The other two men are being called to account by their master too, and he's just getting the bag of gold out of the dirt. This was the response. You wicked, lazy servant. He didn't even do anything. Give him a break. You're going to be so hard on a man that just buries a bag of gold? He didn't steal it. Oh, but you don't understand. We're put on this earth to serve, and you're going to let fear keep you from doing that? So that sinful fear, that lack of trust, that lack of faith, that laziness, that not being willing to take a chance for God is going to lead to this man's condemnation. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Wow. 
Remember Peter? He denied Jesus three times. Jesus said ahead of time that he would. Why did he do that? Oh, he was scared. Oh, you mean thoughts can be sinful? Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So here again, if we're intentional, conscious, intelligent beings, what we say and what we do has to be preceded by some kind of thought. That's what we have to be so careful. What was that keystone verse again? Proverbs 4.23? Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Okay, but how do you do that? I can't help what occurs to me. Okay, that's right. You can't help what thoughts come into your mind. But it's how you deal with them once they're there that makes all the difference. So the first thing that you can do to rein in a sinful thought is mentioned by Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.5. He said what he does. Paul said, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So would it be possible to actually be consciously aware of the stuff that's coming into your mind and then reject it? So let's say that someone comes into church and you look over at them with this jaundiced attitude and you start with this criticism in your mind. And when they look over at you, hello, good morning, glad you're here. Oh, she's just, you know how people do. We all have those thoughts. So what if you could consciously reject that? Was it sinful that it came through your mind? No. Evil thoughts were presented to Jesus by Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness. All kinds of terrible things. For example, worshiping Satan was presented to Jesus. I mean, he was told that. He had to think about it. So how did it keep from becoming sin? He consciously and immediately rejected it. No. And so let thoughts be possibilities. And then you can be the judge and you can say, you can pass and you cannot pass. It's what we choose to dwell on that matters. In other words, could we have some sort of a screening mechanism for things like that? Instead of just going with whatever comes through your mind, what if we could ask the Spirit to help us have this heightened sensitivity so that when something occurs to us that is not right, we can say, time out, no, I'm not going down that road. You could go get expensive cognitive behavioral therapy and they would teach you how to do this in several sessions. And it's just awareness. There's a new catchphrase in psychology, it's called mindfulness. And a few years ago, it was rejected as quackery. Now, everybody's talking about mindfulness. It's being consciously aware of things and intentional. That's all it is. And that's what Paul was saying 2,000 years ago. We think about what we're thinking about, we notice it, and we decide whether we're going to let it pass or not. The second thing you can do 
Instead of just letting thoughts occur to you at random and then you say yes to this one and no to that one, what if you could go out and recruit thoughts? What if you could decide that you want to dwell on certain things? Just like if someone asks you, would you be willing to go on a cruise with me this June? Okay, well let me give that some thought. And so you decide to dwell on that for a few days. And so you research the prices and you look at your schedule and you think about, well, let's see, how would I get there and what would the connections be? You give all that thought, you choose to dwell on it. In the same way, Paul said to the Philippians, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. That's a choice. And so, when you're feeling blue, what if you consciously chose to begin to be thankful? What if you decided, okay, for the next five minutes, I'm going to think of 50 things, or 25 things, or even 10 things that I'm really grateful for? You could be in a concentration camp in North Korea for serving Christ and come up with 10 things. It could be, I'm so thankful for God's precious word and what I know of it. I'm so grateful for the gift of life. I'm so grateful that he chose me. I'm so grateful that I can be a light for him. Are you catching my drift here? You don't have to have much of anything in this world's goods to deliberately choose righteous thoughts. Commendable things? What if you decided that person that came to your mind that you do not like, you just cannot like them, what if you consciously decided to dwell on every good thing you could think about them? I bet you could come up with a long list. It's amazing how this works. And third, what if you focus your thoughts specifically not just on good things in general, but on God himself? Romans 8, 5, 6, here we go with Paul again. He must have been a master of the thought world, and he would have to have been because he spent so much time in prison, how did he keep from being depressed? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. That sounded intentional, didn't it? But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Mm. We've all had the experience of being upset about something, and you decide to take it to the Lord, and you spend time in prayer, and there's this refreshing. He ministers to us when we set our thoughts on him, this works so beautifully. And so what was that keystone verse again? Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So yeah, you can sin by things you say, and you can sin by things you do, but it all starts with a thought. And if you want to be a true person of integrity and character, down to the core, 
Start judging what's going on where no one can see. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us control and making us conscious beings that are intelligent enough to decide what we will dwell on. And I pray that you would make us excellent judges of thoughts that come in that can lead to sinful actions and words, thoughts that are not pleasing to you and that are not Christ-like and that are not rooted in love. And I pray that as we become aware of those, we will reject them. And we will consciously choose to dwell on the good and the pure and the just. And I also pray that you would help us to set our thoughts on you and to, from your word, know more and more about your character and nature so that when we set our thoughts on you, all we can do is just break out in praise. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for transforming our minds. We ask you to make us people of integrity of thought. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a blessed week.